to re-engage the <laughs> Star Trek podcast where we look back at the show we love uh, with older eyes and see uh, how we think it is now compared to then. Let's jump right into it. The show is Pen Pals. It aired the week of May 1st, 1989. That's star date 42695.3. My friend Greg Tito, what was happening in the world the week of May 1st, 1989? I am happy to report that uh, Tim Berners-Lee, who first introduced the idea about the World Wide Web, well, on April 30th, he pressed the bouton and published it uh, uh, and allowed people to uh, access the World Wide Web in the public domain for the first time. So you might argue that the modern internet actually begins on April 30th, 1989. Uh, as this was all going on, uh, in, I think that was in Britain, no, in CERN, he was in Switzerland there. Um, Beijing students are taking over the capital, uh, around Tiananmen Square. Uh, this is an ongoing movement. Uh, the more I'm reading about it now, I didn't realize it then. Uh, it was a lot like an Occupy Wall Street kind of idea where, where students just kind of were there and, perf- and, and, and continue to, uh, protest, uh, by being there. And this was an ongoing thing for many, many weeks before what we think of as the Tiananmen Square uh, massacre when they cleared that square. Uh, so that hasn't happened yet, but right now uh, in China, uh, while this is being aired, you know, tensions are mounting and uh, I think hunger strikes are being discussed as the, as the next move for the students uh, uh, protesting the Chinese uh, government and being pro-democratic. So at the time, I remember this being a much, you know, almost in the media uh, in America, this was like a rah-rah, like, you know, hey, go students of democracy, right? Sure. That's how I that was, was, what I was doing. Rah-rahing. <laughs> we like it when other people uh, protest for democracy, but we get real mad when people protest for democracy in our own country. Oops, the doodles. <laughs> right. Unless it's... Uh, storming the capitol building then it's okay then it's fine right yeah no worries there that's cool uh and then finally on may 1st the actual day that this uh (laughs) was uh broadcast is the opening of disney's what it was called then mgm studio theme park which is now called the hollywood uh studio theme park Mm -hmm. uh so there's uh, lots of ongoing rides there it was uh uh, the one of the most popular uh, theme parks down there after Walt Disney World and all these things that it was all part of the conglomerate that is now Orlando, Florida, but that opened on May 1st. One of the 10 most popular parks in the greater Los Angeles area. (laughs) Exactly. In Lake Buena Vista, Florida, though, this one's the Florida one. Oh, the Florida one. And Greg, do you know how much a a one-day ticket for an adult cost back in 1989? No, how much? $29. What? Get out of here. That's just too much. I will not, sir. (laughs) In comic books, that's probably still about the same. Because comic books were 75 cents, get 29 comic books, maybe 45 comic books, go to the park. 
Now comic books are four dollars, and uh, you get you know twenty nine thirty a card still. So comic books have kept pace with inflation. <laughs> You should learn something. I know, right? That math completely checks out. I, I know it. I don't even have to check it at all. It does. <laughs> it's a good measuring stick. Uh, is that all that was happening the week of May 1st? That's all I got. All right. Then uh, I'm going to turn to our friend Kate and ask her to sing us in to some pop culture. Life is still a mystery, and everyone is still standing alone oh. with Like a Prayer from Madonna. Oh, uh, Pet Cemetery is still number one at the movies, and I have some amusement park trivia for us. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Cedar Point opened the Magnum oh. XL 200, which was the first roller coaster to break the 200-foot height barrier, therefore spawning what is considered to be the Coaster Wars. Mm. Nice. The, that, is, this, uh, is that Midwest? Where's Cedar Point? Cedar Point, Ohio, uh, Michigan. Yeah, Ohio, Ohio. Michigan up in there. Ohio. I think it's Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Michigan or somewhere around there. I've been there. So it's never been to Iowa. Yeah. And on Broadway, uh, Bill Irwin's Largely New York, that's the name of the show, Largely New York, opened for 144 performances. Irwin nice. wrote, directed, and starred in what the AP called A Merry Marriage of Video and Vaudeville, a show tailor-made for people who have trouble figuring out how to operate their VCRs. <laughs> so I think, you know, everyone. Nice. During that it's like time, commenting for sure. on uh, the internet now or social apps back then. Right, VCR exactly. was a big deal. Yeah. Setting it the correct way and getting angry because you missed your, your you didn't tape your show the flashing t- 12 midnight 12 a.m yeah the most basic function and that's all that was happening in pop culture it was a wasteland <laughs> otherwise that's great what a yeah. shit year 1989 <laughs> <laughs> all right well the director wasn't shit uh whitrich colby was our director a german-born american television Ooh director uh and producer uh and he did 48 episodes of star trek across four uh of the television series including uh the hugo award-winning all good things which of course was the series finale two-part series finale to our beloved tng so uh, a lot of cred for uh our director uh and we welcome back writer melinda snodgrass who (laughs) has one of the best last names also uh wrote many uh uh, tng episodes and as we mentioned in earlier podcast she also uh is a contributor to the george rr martin series wild cards uh and the story was by hannah louise shearer who um did five episodes of the next generation an episode of deep space nine uh, and was a writer and producer on Emergency in Night Rider. So we Ooh, got some good stuff uh, from the the admin side of this episode. Um, why don't we start into the artistic side, Eric, and tell us a little bit about these <gasps> guest stars. Oh, it's very exciting. We have four really interesting Hollywood careers to talk about today, starting with Ensign Davis, who is Nicholas Casconi. Tons of named characters and genre stuff throughout the 80s, like all the TV shows you've heard of, and then this and Next Generation, then Deep Space Nine, and then Ty fucking Tannic, <laughs> where he's one of 
uh, Bill Paxton's uh, Explorer crew. Uh, and in the deleted scene is, is witness to Rose throwing the uh, sapphire over the, over the railing, uh, which is, I mean, a nice little piece of immortality right there. <laughs> Uh, and then his last credit is in 2006. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure quite uh, where he went after that, but uh, what an interesting career to start us off. We go a little bit of an escalation with Anne Gillespie, who was Ensign Hillebrand. Uh, she was most remembered by me, I know, as Jenny Garth's mother on 90210. That's who she was. Yes. Oh, I could have uh, looked it up, but I waited for you. Oh, thank you, Kate. <laughs> uh, her, it was also her final credit because she did it in the reboot in 2008 after she had gone back to school. I'm not sure what she went back to school for, but she no longer acts. Uh, she was in every TV show ever. We have to start out with Cop Rock because every time Cop Rock, Cop Rock. comes up, you Cop Rock. Uh, Deep Space Nine, uh, she was recurring as Nurse Jabara in that. She was in Hunter, Seventh Heaven, Matlock, My Two Dads, TJ Hooker. Uh, she was. She began as a regular on Ryan's Hope for two years and was replaced by Marg Helgenberger. Uh, so as I say, she retired in 2008. So we move forward one more time to Whitney Rybeck as Ensign Allens. And what a funny dude this dude was. Partial filmography sleeper. Love it first bite <laughs> of my oh, all yeah. Rocky II, Battle Beyond the Stars, Lives, Oliver and Company, Living. Now we get into TV. Living Single, Third Rock, Murder She Wrote, Simon and Simon, Cagney and Lacey, The Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island, <laughs> where he played the robot. You remember the robot? Oh, there was a robot. Buck Rogers. Oh yeah, Buck Rogers. Mash starred in a pilot called Whitney and the Robot. You remember his name is Whitney Ryback. What do you think that show was about? Him being a robot. No, him with an alien oh. robot. And the robot in that one. <laughs> he was in one of the episodes of the best Saturday morning TV show of all time, The Monster Squad from 1976 to 1977. Do you remember this? This was the series that was about Dracula, the Wolfman, and Frankenstein regretting their hundreds of years of terror and becoming superheroes under the command of that guy from Love Boat who became an asshole congressman. Wow. It's all on YouTube. <laughs> Highly recommend it. It's the same writer and director as the bulk of the 60s Batman. So, like, no, y'all are into it. Wow. Yeah. So, we even have one more that is bigger than the ones we've discussed so far. And that is, of course, uh, young, what's, what's her name, Jimmy? Sarjenka. Here's the thing. That's Nikki Cox. Yeah. Remember Nikki Cox? From, uh, I mean, she started out as a very young dancer. She was in the Joffrey. Uh, she danced in uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. She's in a couple Paula Abdul videos. And then she went into modeling. And then she started this nice freaking uh, run uh, that this was part of. She started out as um, uh, Ryan White's sister uh, in the Ryan White story. Uh, 
which was a phenomenon when it came right. out. Mm-hmm. Right? What a terrible TV movie. Then this, then small parts in Baywatch, Murphy Brown. Uh, and then right after this, she became a regular on General, uh, General Hospital for about half a year. And then her big break was, of course, Unhappily Ever After, one of the raunchy 90s Fox sitcoms, basically an amalgam of ALF and Married with Children. Bobcat Goldthwaite did the voice of the puppet. <laughs> and uh, they were briefly engaged. Uh, then after that, uh, she had her own TV show for a couple of years, and she was Norm MacDonald's wife, I believe, on his uh, brief sitcom Norm. And then she had her last big gig as one of the leads on Las Vegas for like the first four or five years. Right. Uh, then she married Jane Moore, had a apparently terrible, terrible marriage, and has not been seen really since. Uh, but fantastic as Sarjenka, and I think Mickey Cox was great. So it was neat to see her here. Complete fucking surprise for me. Yeah, Nikki Cox. And Jay Moore, he talks about that in his podcast, how he uh, totally destroyed his first wedding. He was still an alcoholic. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) All right, well, let's uh, jump into what Larry Nemesic had to say about this episode. Uh, The big thing, Sarjanko, her orange makeup uh, was so smudgy that it actually <laughs> impacted the ability to have data in her interact as much as they wanted to. Uh, so they had Amazing. to take out some of the uh, interaction. <laughs> um, and Snodgrass, who um, brought her experience as a lawyer to measure of a man, brought her uh, experience as an equestrian to this episode. Um, she nice. competes in dressage competition, which is sort of a high form of training uh, horses. Um, and it's actually an Olympic uh, sport as well. Um, and she regularly competes on that. So she, she brought it into the episode because of her love for it and because Picard is actually an equestrian uh, as well. Um, and uh, I think probably the most notable thing in this episode uh, from Larry Nemesic, that is, is uh, the spectral analyzer that we saw in the um, geology lab. Uh, that was not its first credit on IMDb, this episode. Its first credit was actually as the oscillation overthruster in Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Wow. Amazing. So, if you had a keen eye, you picked up on that. I did not. I did not, but that's awesome. But I, I love the idea of being able to trace like props and where they came from. And it reminds yeah. me of, you know, the Michael Myers uh, of Halloween <laughs> is William Shatner's yeah. face because of they were on the Paramount lot and all that. So like, that's kind of awesome that because it's that, that's only what, like six years or when it was Bakru Banzai out like early 80s, right? Oh, I mean, mid I thought like 84. Oh, so it's, yeah, it would have just been in was, good quality. Sitting around in the prop, yeah. prop shop. God, what a great... Uh, all right, so let's crack this puppy open, ladies and gentlemen. Pen Pals, we're breaking it down. Episode, or scene one, put the apple on the table, Wharf. <laughs> Riker schools Wharf about... <laughs> What's an emergency and what's not? Uh, this is a pretty fun opening scene, especially with them. What did you guys 
uh, take from this? The first manned mission to uh, Selgundo. Uh, Riker has a great line where he says, these planets live fast and die hard, mm-hmm. which I just thought was fucking fantastic. Right. Kind uh, of plays into the equestrian theme of the night, too, right? Yeah. I kind of thought that Riker was a little tough on Worf. I'm, I think it might be malevolence. I've watched Star Trek. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You don't know what it is. Yeah, it's his job to go. What if right. it's someone They've seen fucking? It before. Job. Yeah. <laughs> what if it's fucking you? I, I mean, I I love that line too, Kate. Like that was the thing that stuck out at me. It was like, who talks like that? Like it was such like a <laughs> cowboy way to like, oh, we're out, you know, he could have been delivering it out on the range. Right, especially about a planet that's it's dying. <laughs> Uh, all right, so scene two, I called Kate. How do you feel about the riding pants? Oh my gosh, this is the first note that I have is how good he looks with those jodhpurs. <laughs> so you nailed it. It's totally true. Uh, I, I, once they showed him going on the horse, I was like, wow, Picard and I have something in common. We're both hobbyists. We just find something new to dive into. We've seen him as a fencer. He's uh, he's into uh, puzzles, like breaking down big math puzzles, archaeology, terrariums. He's an equestrian. I mean, he's got a lot of free time. Um, I mean, don't forget the wine. I endure. Yeah, and the wine. Um, so this is kind of a fun scene. Seeing him, uh, seeing this nice holodeck thing. They actually filmed this out in Thousand Oaks. But no horse riding for Picard. He's he's called away. And uh, yeah, okay, one second. And then the only thing I have to say is I thought it was odd that uh, he bridles the fake horse before he leaves the, the holodeck because you know, it's going to disappear right as soon as he leaves, right? Kate, what do you got? Uh, I noted that too. Uh, what I... What I... What I took from that was that it's part of the ritual, mm. you know, like sort of like it's it's you want to feel it. Yep. Same with like how Riker likes to make his shitty omelets. Right now, um, <laughs> but I got excited because Deanna said that she had a Betazoidian kitten, and I want one so bad because you know that they like the moment you start to feel stressed out, that kitten's gonna know. Right. And like, just be wherever you need it to be and like apply pressure points to you and purr <laughs> like super soothingly. And it makes complete sense that uh, a kitten would not get along with Luxana. <laughs> like, right. I was just charmed by that whole picture. It was adorable. Like a psionic cat. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I did like this weird world building, though, about Betazoids and how they don't usually like to be with animals because of the 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 connection to the animal ferocity and i thought it was just a nice way to get out some some practical information about how betazoids operate well now i think the the liar cat yeah. in saga is a beta kitten lying all right uh i'll see you guys later <laughs> <laughs> All right, Odyssey 3, Angry Planet. Uh, so the last probe showed a thriving echo system. Oh, uh, now there's nothing. <laughs> so thoughts on the planet, the FX. I thought this was pretty good. And, and Greg, was this um, a redo? Is this 
Is this uh, something they've updated? Did it look this good before? Because I thought it was a nice, uh, a nice visual of this red thing just starting to. No, crack yeah, absolutely. I think blow. I think all these uh, effects have gotten a little bit uh, uh, had sugar added to. They had some sweetened up uh, special effects mm -hmm. here. Um, okay. It is uh, looks really good though. I think actually a lot of the cinematography, the way this was shot, like it's okay. It, it makes it able to be updated without being, you know, o o very obvious what they were doing differently. Yeah, and I there's a there's a scene later I specifically noted about the cinematography. Yeah. I'm excited to get to that one. What did you guys think about this this whole intro? I mean, I love the idea that it was fine and now shit's happening. Um I thought it was a nice little teaser of what are we gonna get into? And it's it's got a great juxtaposition of sort of the what the story ends up really being about. Uh, what, what was your takeaway, Greg or uh, Eric, on that, that initial feeling of? Yeah, I agree. I I didn't remember much of anything about it. Like when I was looking at guest stars, I remembered the fact of the little alien girl, but I didn't remember how it all played out at all. So when, like we say earlier, when Worf said, you know, it's well, how do we know this isn't a thing? He's like, it's not malevolence. Like part of me was like, oh, so it's malevolence. <laughs> like it's just gotta be. <laughs> they they sent. Yeah, they sent us in four or five different directions. And I, I kind of right, kept right. guessing the whole time because I, I didn't remember it. But I do want to bring up that ecosystem thing. It, yes. <laughs> it sent me down a whole thing. I'm like, right now we have the GIF versus JIF. In 20 years, that'll be settled. And we'll look back on it and be like, what a moron. <laughs> right, uh, right, right. But, but what I was thinking was, uh, this is around the time of the whole uh, Basinger Bassinger. Uh, <laughs> back and forth. Before, you know, people had YouTube and can go, oh, what the fuck is her name? Right. But the ecosystem really, it, did, you, did you all clock ecosystem? I didn't. I certainly I did. It. I missed yeah. it. Okay. Oh, no, I went back. I was like, what? Did he say that? Uh, yeah. And I rewound. I was like, it's oh, yeah, it's ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It Ecology, is. Well, yeah. the ethics of this yeah. scene is interesting. I think. Ethics. The apex. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, I, I it's interesting, right? Because I remember having discussions because they were talking about um, seeding uh, rain clouds during this time period. I remember that being like a thing, like oh, science has figured out like if you do X, you'll be able to create precipitation. Wouldn't that be great to put uh, snow on ski, uh, you know, ski mountains, and we can do that? And isn't that great? And then someone brought up the point, which I stuck with me for a long time, of like, well, what if an old man's like shoveling his driveway after it snows and has a heart attack and dies? because you made it snow like that is where my mind starts going with this conversation uh and they, and they eventually talk yeah. about it even more uh you know when they have to debate what the the uh yeah right, well let's save that for that scene because that's but the, you're right the threads of <laughs> ethics being discussed is is already apparent right here oh yeah yeah uh all right so we're on to scene number four already doubting thomas pulaski yeah. uh, and this is where you know the wesley's getting his first big break and i thought pulaski came on pretty strong with her reasons for this is maybe too big for him it's really important you know uh especially compared to what she does yeah. later it might be this episode is why you two hate her so much because uh -huh. I, this is the first one I was like, oh, she's just not being written very nice yeah, in this episode. Uh, she's laid it on strong. 
In fairness to her, isn't he like 14? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, but he's already saved the the ship like five times. And Riker makes a very good point when he says that it's got to happen sometime, which of course means it has to happen when you're 15. Um, I'm right. like, come on, man. That's not enough. Man. I I just know that they use like every metaphor possible to talk about uh, his education in this. <laughs> Yes. There's like steel flint, and then there's he's a butterfly, and <laughs> got to teach a man to fish. Yeah. He's he's a not lot. a he's a he's sh- not a sword. He's a ship in the night. Well, no, but he will be a man. What? 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 I mean, yeah. The only thing I like about this scene is it sets up the future scenes, right? Like this is the this these are the people that he's got to communicate with and perhaps win over so that you know, we can resolve this storyline. I do like that part of this scene. Yeah. And I mean, looking back now, I feel like there must've been a really big week of reading rainbow going on because we got so little of Jordy yeah. uh, in this episode. And he's definitely somebody that Wesley would have checked in with had he not been busy with reading. Rainbow. <laughs> uh, but you know, the overall takeaway for me in this scene was Pulaski agrees in such a uh, disagreeable way. Like, even when she supports him, it sounds like she's saying, fuck you. <laughs> we call that the Pulaski special. <laughs> Which thanks to the scene five, uh, wet pants. Oh, show's over. <laughs> yep. Bye, everybody. For Wesley. Yep. <laughs> uh, so he all grows up. He gets his command assignment. Uh, something about rocks. He's got to go out and do something with rocks. Uh, and his question, a team, sir? <laughs> I wonder who will be on this team. Like, th- this is my question. Because at-, at the moment, I couldn't remember the episode. So it was like, I thought this was going to be your typical, all right, so Data, Jordy, we're going to have the A-team, and they're going to help mold them. Boy, was I wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And then as uh, Picard leaves, as we leave that scene, there's a shot of Picard, and I have no idea what's going through his mind. Like, is he like, all right, this is going to be a fucking disaster. I can't believe I let Riker talk me into this. Like, he just looks so deadpan and almost a little curmudgeon yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's just me projecting on him, but I had no idea what was happening with Picard at the end of, of that scene as we exit out. He's got another weird line in this thing where Wesley says, a team, and Picard says, this is serious. Like, like he wasn't taking it seriously. And I was like, yeah. oh, why are you coming at him? Because right. he was smiling. Do you, I feel like this episode, maybe it was the director. He's like, I need a little more anger from you people. You're always just talking nice. He was like, I need a little bit of edge. And they were just jumping on any of the lines. They felt like they hit the edge on because there's a, a lot of like going to 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. Even, even Worf when Data's like, I'll move that stuff later. Good. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good. For you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that line later too. Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, so scene six, clean up your own damn room. Uh, this is where data stuff is just laying around during his personal project. So the first thing that came across my mind is personal projects. Is this going to be important later? Never. And then, of course, warp slide. I mean, that so stuff happened. Talk about whatever you want. To me, the big takeaway here is warp stepping on data or tripping on data stuff. Data saying, I'll move that. Warp's line and then Data's reaction. That's the yeah. That's yeah, that's, that's the scene. The yeah, I just don't. Oh, doesn't scene. Data outrank Worf? I thought the way Worf was 
not about where shit is in the way and people might. Right. right. <laughs> he's, the, he's an admiral. Security. About yeah, right. Yeah. This is a fire hazard. You can't you can't keep this here. This is intergalactic security issue. Worf is also the he- Yeah, he's the head of OSHA also for <laughs> He's been trying to get that elevator thing fixed for weeks. Absolutely. You're not certified to climb that ladder. Be gone. Be gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean his line good is classic war i loved it uh this way you'd have to finish your beer in college because that's a you you know uniquely wharf response and then you would have to drink another beer because data's response is uniquely data his double take his android double take of what just happened uh perfect i think Worf would have gotten a laugh though like a bigger laugh if he had said good sir yeah, I do <laughs> like that idea. And it would, yeah, it would be exact because it would carry it on. The regular watchers would have known. All right, you're building a universe. <laughs> uh, all right, so scene seven, free walks. Wesley joins Troy and Riker in the corridor, seeking advice on who, how to assemble a team. So I want to talk about two things here. First, just what do you think about this little conversation? Did anything jump out to you? I I love that the direction for Troy and Riker turning the corner was Riker just said something really funny (laughs) because they turned the the corner and they're like, (laughs) at the beginning of the scene. Oh, yeah. yeah. At the beginning. There's just like, we are laughing. (laughs) Laughter is happening. It's like a a moving version of that Ben Affleck picture with the starbucks with the cigarette Wait, no what? no where he's oh the gif yes. gif sorry Twenty years later it's, it's gif we all know GIF. we all GIF fucking one. know it's GIF. gif uh all right so the big thing for me in this shot was how big the set looked a lot of the times it looks cramped and small but this one there is um there's two cuts but three long camera shots and two camera shots that start with the the actors moving towards them and then moves the camera moves around as the actors pass them. So we see three long corridor walks. Um, and it really gave you sort of a sense of the the breadth of this ship. And I had never noticed that before. I agree. It made it seem like the the hallways were very long, but it also was very clear how narrow they were when they were standing three it's like his shoulders are running into doorways and like some poor officer had to sneak past the three of them and none of them made brew and so she's like like a clothesline hugging the wall (laughs) it was one i was obsessed with looking at this scene and realizing that this was all done on one it was one hallway and they shot it three different ways right. to make it look like they were having one continuous way. And so I got, I wasn't even listening to the conversation after a while. I was just trying to realize, okay, when's the cut going to be? Okay, now how is that going to position itself? I thought it was just very clever the way that that had to be mapped out. Yeah. And at the very end, you can see that there's not room for any of them to yes. exit. <laughs> yeah, the, their, their shadows all stop the moment they're yeah. off. And they just. Well, why would there be shadows there at all? Well, yeah, it probably wasn't really up against a wall. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, they can't they can't yeah. walk into the light. Uh. Right. Uh, 
Uh, but still fun. Gave it some uh, a sense of, of size. Uh, okay, scene eight. Rock puzzles are the hardest. Really, uh, they're the hard. Uh-huh. Um, initial feeling. <laughs> uh, so the initial feeling of the, of the guy slowly putting a glass cylinder over the rock. Uh, my initial feeling was, okay, this guy's going to be a dick. Just the way they put it over the rock is like, this is uh, this is the same guy from Measure of Man. Like, immediately, he's an asshole. Uh, what did you did, I mean, did you guys think this or did did it even enter your mind about who this guy might be? I absolutely did not remember this episode, but I remembered this dude. He showed up. I'm like, oh, I remember everything he fucking does. <laughs> but then he does a little uh, uh, at first, I'm like, am I right? And then he's, he seems very nice immediately. Like, hey, Wes, blah, blah, blah. And we then know better. Yeah. It's that passive aggressive yeah. shit. I'd be like, ah, oh, you should have talked to me first. I know what to, I, I'm, don't. Yeah. Break up those married teams. You don't want to <laughs> fuck up your first time out of the gate, huh? Chicks. Hey. That guy's from Washington. Hey. He's from Washington. He's passive But, but also Brooklyn. Oh. And the, how we're performing. <laughs> <laughs> And how weird. I know. <laughs> well, your interpretation of them, yes, is definitely Brooklynese. Hey, I got someone hey, burning some uh, rocks here. What are you going to do? I'm uh, burning some Shut rocks. Shut up while I put the cylinder over the rock. <laughs> and he's very gentle about putting it on, and then he, like, destroys it immediately. Correct. Science. <laughs> and then they study how the rocks fall. That's, yes, next scene. Chronology. <laughs> Uh, all right, seed nine message in a bottle or sound wave. I have to interrupt. Was that a minute work reference, <laughs> yes. Greg? Well, not a direct, but just okay. A, I yeah. I I know, but I I I kind of knew. All right, well done. All right, well done. Yes, uh, Data's personal project did turn in turn out to impact the plot. Are we about to meet our guest star? I like the fact that this has the very uh, just now, like w when we have uh, the videos blurry, will enhance. They do the same thing with the 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 the, the sound waves aren't enough. The Make RF it better. waves are will enhance, <laughs> emulsify, like, like all sorts of weird shit. Right. <laughs> There's something weird about this sound effect, though. I don't understand what she says. I have like a mental block. All I hear is the brown, 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 like like a Charlie Brown thing. I rewound it like three <laughs> times, and I'm like, "Does she say? What does she say here? What are, What are the words that you guys hear? Is anybody there? Is, is anybody, is anybody out, out there? Yeah. Is there anybody? Is this your version of Yanny and Laurel? <laughs> is, like yes. you can't. Is the dress blue or tan? Yeah, I yeah. have. I, it's crystal clear. For yeah, me. I heard it. Greg. Have you considered seeing a specialist? <laughs> Many times, actually. <laughs> okay. For various things. Uh, all right, so we're off to C10. Uh, Pulaski's pep talk, which uh, I didn't buy for a second, even though the acting is spot on. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about... Uh, Diana Moldauer. Diana nails it, but still, the character, I don't believe is suddenly now going to give this nice, warm pep talk to the kid she basically said to go fuck yourself. You can't do this. Uh, also, she's not in sick bay. We see her in the hallway, so you know she's fucking going to 10 forward. Yeah. 10 forward. She's on her way to 10 forward. She has to bend her elbow a couple times. It's a stretch kind of thing. 
I want this. This might be going into the next moment because he's waiting outside. And then the next, like he goes in and we hear a voiceover saying it's now been six weeks right. since they've been in the system. And I want to know, like, was he standing outside that door for six <laughs> <Yes>. fucking weeks? <laughs> like, is this next scene that we see like six weeks on where he's like gelling with his team? Like I just, the passage of time in this, they do a lot of that where they're like, it's now been right. eight weeks. It's now been 45 Which, seconds. And it wasn't clear to me. <laughs> Um, nah. And uh, Nemesis makes it as if there's only eight weeks from the moment we enter to the time we're done. It's eight total weeks. I got like you, Kate. Like there's, and it, it, it for me it was it stood out. It's like okay, this is a six week jump, and then the next time we hear about a jump is eight weeks. They say it's been eight weeks, and it wasn't clear to me at all that it was a total of eight weeks or if it was six mm. plus eight on there. Um, but I kind of liked that they had. A bunch of time like they didn't solve this problem in 32 hours it, it, they were there for several months um but yeah and it's the next scene but it's well a, they didn't have jordy because he was doing reading rainbow they couldn't figure this out yeah um yeah so there was a big time jump uh and and the only other thing i think is important about this next scene scene 11 is that this is where we see west get bullied a little bit here by uh by both of them by whatever his funny name is i can't remember uh, in the married lady, uh, they they kind of corner him and and uh, take away the, take the wind out of the sails. There, I like that their uh, their their reason is that it takes like five hours, five hours. to set up this test. They've been there for six. Like what? what it's literally the only thing. Oh, right, you have this to is your do. job. Like, oh, five. We have a three-hour workday. It's five hours. Go do it. It's a serious undertaking, Wesley. Well, we've all worked with people who would actually say and mean that. Like we know these. Clock workers. out, then. You're in the Enterprise, man. You're not on the Stargazer. Well, especially after the eight, the, the eight Enterprise jump here. It's like, man, they should have said that. They should have just said a lot longer amount of time, and then we would have been like, oh, okay, well, that's a significant thing. But like, yeah, four hours, five hours. Yeah. It just seems like that's that's what you're here for. They should have said six weeks. That'll take another yeah. six weeks. Then we would have been, we would have inferred from that that they did something else for him that took six weeks. And that's why we're in this mess, little Wesley Crusher. Uh, all right, so we're off to scene 12. Data finds something out. We don't know what it is, but it's enough to interrupt a card's horse ride. So this is a very quick scene. Uh, he's doing something on the computer, it piques his interest, uh, and he jets from his uh, quarters over to uh, the holodeck to interrupt. But this is where we realize that Picard uh, sticks with hobbies longer than you do because he did it for eight weeks. (laughs) (laughs) I will go back to stained glass. (laughs) It's just aging. Uh, All right. If nobody else has anything else to say about about that, uh, Kate, please. Nope. Oh well, no. Are we talking about the 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 horse riding scene? Uh, we we're, we're gonna get there. Or next. the tiny little scene. Okay. That's a tiny little scene. That was all by itself. Where he uh, data finds out and runs to get Picard, and then scene thirteen, Picard has something between his legs. <laughs> <laughs> it is a big white horse. Shadow facts. So I think this is the scene you were talking about, Kate. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, I love data comes in and like uh, reveals I've been, I got a message and I've been talking with this girl and Picard literally says, oops. Yeah. <laughs> That's oops, because he finds out the planet doesn't know about interplanetary travel. It is just, I don't know if it's just because it's so out of keeping with how he normally talks or just because yeah. he's in jodhpurs. Like, there's just something. It's, uh, uh, I don't know if it's, if it's kismet or uh, what's the proper word, but just that day. I watched this uh, the day before we, we taped this episode. And at work, I had sent a, an email to my colleagues about uh, a new game idea I have. And in that email, I included the price to them. They always mark that price up. But one of the people I had sent that to was one of our clients. Oops. <laughs> oh. And immediately, uh, one of the sales reps emailed me back and said, Jimmy, you sent this to the client. And my one word response in the email was, oops. <laughs> <laughs> so i I could feel picard yeah i've yeah. sometimes you just don't know what to yeah. say well played <laughs> uh, and this is where we learned about the time jump really because now it's been eight weeks and i didn't know if it was six or eight uh, is this a time jump and i didn't know why i cared so much about how much time it was and i think it's because every other episode i feel like they've they've done it in a few days or they've made it seem like a few days and this one they made sure we know it's they've been at this for a while um and then we find out with the prime directive thing I'm like ooh, a prime directive episode which as soon as that comes up you know there's a moral debate. yes there's no way they can get around it um and, and how about oh, the old prisoners that's club. right and how do you guys feel about i want to pass this off to you about data doesn't tell anybody about communicating with this girl for six weeks, that's a long time to be breaking a very important rule. Pretty creepy, really. All right, next scene. <laughs> <laughs> this whole scene is constructed oddly for me because of how uh, Data comes in and he's not really apologetic yet. I think character-wise he gets there, but he knows it's what he's done needs the captain's kind of thing. And the captain is going, wavering back and forth between like, thank you for telling me, but you should have told me sooner and don't ever talk to this woman again. Like he, I, I, he, right. It's, I'm not really sure where, what I'm supposed to be feeling during this episode. If this is what's, what's really at stake. Well, that might be the point. I, mean, I, I like that um, data doesn't show a human emotion of sorrow. Like, oh, I'm I'm afraid of what you might do. Because, of course, he wouldn't be afraid. Yeah. Either he gets fired or he doesn't. Like, this is what he did. So I, I liked that part uh, uh, of their interaction. Um, it is odd that he just says, oops. <laughs> and uh, huh. um, I, I feel like maybe they were just, the actors are pulling back because of how much they had already jumped on each other. And I don't know if this was filmed out of sequence and maybe the next scene coming up uh, was filmed first. And they're like, yeah, we just kind of had a lot of high energy. Maybe we should dial it back because it is a little reserved for something uh. so big as the prime directive has not only been broken, but broken many times <laughs> over several weeks. Um, 
Well, they had to speak sl- softly so they didn't scare yeah, the oh, horse. Right. It was programmed oh, to be that's spooked right, easily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then the scene well, end. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Greg. I was just going to say, I, I don't think they realized that they that any first First Amendment that I was about to say, Prime Directive uh, <laughs> is broken yet because he has he's just been communicating. He hasn't said where he's from or that interstellar, you know, travel is possible at this point. I, I get, no, you're right. They technically didn't say it. I think he probably could infer just by he knows where the planet is and they would know if there's warp signatures or something around that there's warp technology being mm. used in that um i'm totally making that up um but i think it's a good argument ah. uh, so the scene ends though uh <laughs> i think in the oddest point where picard says we need to have a meeting in my quarters which seems something that Riker would do not picard which brings us to scene 14 a new Riker maneuver and this is <laughs> Riker in 10 4 <laughs> Uh, having a drink with somebody, um, we don't know who, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's all about Wes it getting, needing some good advice on how to deal with the people he's supposed to be in command with. What did you guys think about the advice that Riker gave? Well, first and foremost, I love the fact that he tells his hot date uh, that it's a family emergency. That just did something to my little heart. Like, I just, that was very sweet and not very, I don't know. I just like the Riker maneuver. He He knows, she knows who Wesley is. How that was going, yeah. Oh, he's taking care of the kid because his mom's not here. Yeah, it's the equivalent of taking a dog to the park. Yes. Oh. (laughs) Wow. I like that Wesley is just suffering from imposter syndrome. I was like, I feel called out by this entire scene. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Uh, by the way, Wesley was the dog. Just so everybody knows. Thank you. We yes, got that. yes. We got, got that. that. <laughs> Thank you. And what did you guys think about the advice itself? Honestly, I think Riker keeps giving advice that is out of, that is good advice, but it is out of character for Riker. It's interesting. You should say that, Eric. Because I wrote, it's good advice, and it sounds like Riker and not some generic Ooh. speech. Like they actually wrote something that Riker might say, and not that could be Picard or or Geordi or Data. Oh, I think the language is Riker. I just think the advice is not necessarily his? Riker. I think we've had several times in here. All right, but I I'm I'm perfectly happy to disagree with you again, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Finally back. As always. Finally back to Balance zero. restored. Finally back. Yeah. Nature is healing. <laughs> uh, and then at the end of the scene, we know that, yup, this is a Riker maneuver because he whispers uh, in his lady friend's ear and she's all a flutter as, as he walks out. with the, She gives us a little look to the camera so we know exactly how Riker's night's going to end. And then they pan over to Deanna <laughs> in the corner just... <laughs> We just had a moment last episode. <laughs> Remember, you held me. Earlier this episode, they crossed, they turned a corner laughing. Right. <laughs> Another Riker maneuver. <laughs> Another Riker maneuver. Uh, all right, so we go out of there into scene 16, which is Picard's crib. Uh, and, you know, the first big moment here is um, Pulaski inferring that Worf is a coward. It's never going to go well. And this is what I mean, like this scene above all, like they jump to 10 
immediately. Like there is question is posed, speak freely. And they take that to mean say whatever the fuck you want. And it doesn't matter <laughs> whose feelings you hurt. <laughs> yeah. And Riker's like, are we gods? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you're the, actually, he's the only one who's had that experience of being a Q for part of an episode. Like he, he actually has that, that, that power in him at one point. Um, but it, I love this whole conversation because it does have these questions. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, and I don't know if they get to a right point where they answer him, but I love Picard's it protects us, you know, from our own emotion. Like that's why it is such a, a line in the sand because it allows us to not have to interpret it each time we, we come across stuff like this. And then it's such a powerful moment. And as soon as they hear, Oh, it's a little girl. <laughs> oh, that's all right. We forget everything right. I just said. So, what do you guys think about these it's, arguments? I mean, well, they they talk about. And it's interesting because they talk about fate yes. a lot, and then cosmic yes. design, which is something that I don't feel like we've really talked about right. before. The, that something is in the cosmic design, and and I don't know that they explore that super fully, but I, it's. It's yes. a quasi-religious, yes. you know, like argument. It's really interesting. Like they, they don't hold you. You're absolutely right that they don't hold back from the big stuff. Yeah. Uh, in fact, every level of big stuff. It's like the most didactic sort of yeah. uh, let's throw in every philosophical, you know, I'm surprised they didn't talk about trolleys. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I almost completely agree with you. The only part I disagree with is that it wasn't interesting. Um, Oh, I think no, it was I interesting. Don't think it was. That's what I mean. Is like, I oh, don't, don't think, think it was interesting, it was interesting. <laughs> because they bring in, they say cosmic plans and gods. And I don't understand why they ever entered the conversation because it has nothing to do with science. And this whole series has been about science up until this one argument. And now suddenly they're trying to make the fulcrum of everything about we, we can't decide what their fate is. Which, of course, we know from Avengers Endgame, yes, we can, because their fate is, of course, whatever we do now, because that's what we're doing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the point of every time travel movie out there, right? Like your fate, your your future is what you make it. Right. It's not written in stone. Isn't that what Doc Brown told us? Well, that's... I, yeah, but we're, we're dealing with late 80s evangelical. Yes, that's my point is, I'm not yeah. just being funny. It's actually the Endgame thing is because the philosophy and the theory about time travel has a more evolved notion of it has entered into the cinematic conversation. And at this point it was still this hokey, uh, you can't touch yourself or the world will explode. And you know, a lot of stuff that just, are you calling time cop? Hokey? (laughs) Yes. And not because uh, it's not fun to watch, but because it's ridiculous. Mia, Sarah, Hokey? So the whole argument for me fell flat. Like there was never a point made that argued we shouldn't do this. And that's why, okay, so the girl, you hear the girl's voice and you're going to do it because you never had a point anyways. Are you dead inside, Jimmy? I'm alive. And that's why I would have said, yeah, we're going to save the people. Of course, we're going to save that. We're not going to let them die because we're afraid of what might happen if we let them live. <laughs> it's a ridiculous argument. What, so tell me, how is it not ridiculous? No, I'm <laughs> yeah. kidding. You're absolutely right. You save, <laughs> you save anybody you can at all times. Like, or 
hours. I think it's so. I I I whispered, "Clever boy." When uh when <laughs> yes. Data was like, "Okay, I'm gonna right. turn it off," but in order to turn it off, you're gonna have to hear her voice before I do so. Like it's so because he knows somehow in that little android head of his that the moment they hear that voice, mm-hmm. yeah, it's gonna be impossible for them not. And to And what do is something. Picard's line right after that? Oh, Data. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like he knew that uh, the game was up and that he got played. Yeah, that's exactly what I wrote at the end. Did Data uh, let them hear on purpose? Which, of course, I think so. He knew what he was doing. He's too smart. Yeah. Uh, what about Warp's line? I thought that was a particularly um, acidic line uh, where, yeah, for you, when somebody, because the, the point is this is this person is important to data or this person is important and worst responses to you like again this is as thin as the rest of the arguments of course to me why is that discredited because it's the person is important to me like uh, i i didn't understand why they put these characters in that position other than we know we have to have the debate but they just it was at the times. If Data had just moved his stuff, none of this would have happened. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it wasn't so damn messy. This was a roommate's spat. <laughs> uh, we argue about the little things so we can ignore the big things. <laughs> uh, all right. So we leave the thin debate of scene 16 and go into scene 17. Wesley is vindicated. Uh, he walks in, he says what he wants, and he gets it right away. Yeah, the weasel back stuff. <laughs> like, immediately. I That rang so hollow to me. Like, that he gets all like, all right, I'm going to do it. And then it's like, oh, well, of course, sir. Now, fuck you. He would. <laughs> well, the thing is, it was the holodeck, and he didn't know. Oh. <laughs> he walked into a suddenly compliant crew because... You just blew my mind. This is really all inside the snow globe of... Yes. Yes. So it doesn't matter. On the back of a turtle. (laughs) Oh, Sir Terry Pratchett. Oh, we also get that nice little moment from Picard where he indicates how deep they are. It's up to the chin at this point. At this point. That's pretty deep. That's the detail of this show that I remember the most. I don't know. I, I remember my parents like giggling at this bit. And liking it, and I and that just always struck me as, uh, you know, I, as I'm rewatching, I'm just like, oh yeah, I remember, I remember we did that in our house. Like we're up, to, my, my dad used to say, we're up to here. I had it up to here, you know. And so this was like a reference to that that my parents had while watching this. I don't know. It was <laughs> that's amazing. That's such a cool. Movie. I uh, what did you think, Jimmy, of the scientific uh, explanation of this that the dilithium crystals are. <laughs> causing the breakdown of the planet, but it's something we can reverse. I you loved know. it <laughs> because it's, it's <laughs> technobabble. So I just love That's what that I they're thought. not like just glossing over it. They're trying to come up with it. And I love that dilithium has a problem. There's a problem with dilithium on this planet because as we know, later on in the, the, the TNG universe, dilithium becomes an issue. And in disco, we have problems with dilithium as well. Uh, so that was fun. I immediately to... thought of what is it, season three of Discovery? Uh, yeah, where it's all about 
dilithium doing exactly this shit. And it's like, they stole so many ideas from these early episodes. I wonder if someone just watched it and be like, oh, that's a cool idea. Let's yeah, see if we can expand a whole season on that. They really <laughs> abandoned it. Uh, but the overriding thing of this scene, I thought, was the husband and wife team. Uh, I thought they it was really bad acting <laughs> with the shared lines. Like, the way I could tell that the husband was waiting to jump in and, and like, this is what we do. We finish each other's lines. We worked on it off stage. You're going to love it. Uh, it was, I didn't buy it for a second. And Eric, who is, I, he looked familiar. Is he not somebody we should know? Like, the guy looked like I should know him. The husband? The husband. Uh, he, that's that's Whitney Rideback, isn't it? The guy from, that I was talking about was on Gilligan's Island. Oh, is that and, him? I'm sorry. I didn't, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Of course. I'm telling you, Monster Squad episode 12. <laughs> plays a super <laughs> and a robot check it out and i've i watched three episodes today i'm fucking hooked i'm gonna watch it so hard it, the, like frankenstein's makeup stops at his eyes so his eyelids are just white dude eyelids and their whole rest of his face is green it's it's Wait, incredible it's live action it's, yeah i thought it was a cartoon Oh yeah, it's that live action. He's like, I'm watching it right it now. Worse. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> like it's ah. Oh. oh, Whitney, I'm telling y'all. Uh, all right, so we're off the scene. 18. Sarjaka ain't picking up. Something's wrong, and Data runs out to help. We see the girl in the episode preview, so we saw her. We know just from the episode coming up, there's a space girl, and we haven't seen her yet. And there's 16 minutes left in the episode. So they're really waiting. To, they're burying the lead here. Um, I mean, uh -huh. Were you guys anxious? To see, did you you remember that Sir Jacob was in this, right? Did it occur to you at all that the episode had gone on so far and we hadn't actually seen? <laughs> no. No. I, not until she showed up. I'm like, oh, right. The fingers. Like I had forgotten. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those hands. They got very so large hands. I have to say, I love her design. I think her design is so cool. I, I The fingers freak me right the fuck out, but I think it's awesome. Yeah. And her feet were also, yes. it looked like she was wearing maybe uh, ballet shoes or something, um, point mm -hmm. shoes mm -hmm. that she was wearing yep. flat because it made her, her legs long. And then I just thought the... The blending, uh, you know, like the the coloring and stuff. Now, I love the fact that it was probably getting all over the set, we right. find out. Uh, but I just thought her design was very cool. <laughs> that orange makeup. Yeah. Orange. orange. All right. It felt alien for sure. Yes. Scene 19, fuck the prime directive. The <laughs> old shatter the lattices bit. So this is what we were talking about before with uh, the techno babble. Uh, Data wants to beam down. And I love the reason why Picard uh, allows it to happen. In for a penny. In for a pound. Yeah, in for a pound. And uh, and Data's actual response to it is he processes it and he goes, yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> yes, quite. We've come <laughs> this far. We've broken all the rules this far. Might as well just rob the bank. Right. Yeah. And this is where the, the you myth know, of the pot. It goes commitment. from the chin to above the head. <laughs> now they're swimming in it. Um, in the, the prime directive. Uh, this is me anytime I, oh, I, I like bad. snack on, you know, shitty food for me, like during the day. And I, then the rest of the day, I'm like, well, I've already eaten the shitty food. I might as well just go full <laughs> I'm getting on. a jalapeno ah. cheddar pub cheese from Trader Joe's and a box of crackers. <laughs> this is my cheat day. So let's have all of it. 
<laughs> All of the cheating. I mean, now I'm having Pringles after the doctor. Oh, fuck. That sounds so Hot good. Cheetos. Yeah. <laughs> Hot Cheetos. Yeah. <laughs> so is this where Picard tells Riker to go yeah. to the to the transporter room? Too? Yes. He goes, get out of here. He sends him to, to, to see O'Brien. Right. Yeah. So that's scene 20. Get out of here, O'Brien. <laughs> go take a nap. Take a nap. Uh, like, All right. I don't see nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> He plays along immediately, like he's done it before. So, I mean, this is a fun little scene, you know, Riker and O'Brien, like you, you see that they're not always gonna, I mean, I mean, they just throw the rule book out, right? Like, it's, they're done with it and they're full on um, do whatever the fuck they want mode now. In for a penny, man. In for a penny. So Dana beams down, uh, that takes us in the scene uh, 21 and 22, we can really just uh, go together. Really fuck the Prime Directive. And this one... I, I like that she lives in a, like, technological yes. yurt. Yes. That effect, too, with Data going outside yes. to look at the geologic uh, explosions right. around him with the, his hair blowing. Slight mullet. Yeah. So, And that's what I thought. Was like, their whole argument earlier was, you know, they're not ready. We can't uh, just show them this technology. I'm like, wait a minute. They can make walls disappear by just popping it. This is way better than your swishing doors. Like, they got something to trade here. You save them, they give you the whole popping the, you know, making the door walls disappear <laughs> technology. I think there's a fair trade going on. Um, and, and what do you guys think about uh, Data taking Sarjanka back to the Enterprise? I mean, in for a penny. In for a pound, man. In for yeah, a pound. I mean, <laughs> in, in for a penny, in for a couple yeah. pounds. What's the difference, really? She ran back to get the transporter. Trans the transmitter. Thing. Yeah, so she could talk to Data because she knew that he would he would get in touch with her again. And uh, she, so she was want breaking her him own rules. to disappear like he did to her, is what she says. Oof. That's cold. Yeah, no, she got a little a little dig in there on him. It worked. It worked. And he's like, I'll take yeah, you He's up. like, let's okay, go. Uh, I'm going to take you back to the <laughs> star gods. She handles this whole going to space thing really yeah. well. Like, yes, she's afraid of strangers, but like that's just common sense stranger danger. But she has no sort of trouble with the her molecules being <laughs> yeah. ripped apart and put back together. And I'm I'm confused as to why the people who can clearly uh, prefabricate techno huts are not worth first contact. Because they don't count warp. Mm. Seems of a technological ability that it's like fine to say, hey, we're roughly humanoid and we're from somewhere else. Right. Their hands were too long. Oh, yeah. They're not oh, very good true. at making that's things. True. They can't really use tools. That's true. But they can get the center of their backs. Where'd they get <gasps> the yurt? Back scratching. Back scratching. Uh, back scratching. <laughs> Hello. Do they not have spas in the 23rd well, then they're, century? They're the next step in the evolutionary chain, <laughs> not the previous. They hadn't invented spas yet. Uh, all right. So 21 and 22 all together, you know, they beam up. O'Brien's like, what the hell are you doing? And dad is like, quite impossible with the whole like, what am I going to say no to her? She's so cute. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like the fact that O'Brien calls her a that. You're going right. out with that. That seemed, mm, that was a Pulaski move. 
Yeah, that's not right. All right, so uh, scene twenty-three. We're coming to the to the end here, kids. Uh, Sarjanka's planet is saved, and it only took a few minutes. I mean, it took several weeks for them to figure out what it is, but much like in Total Recall, once they hit the button, uh, the whole planet was saved. You know, in the amount of time that you can uh, almost suffocate, but get the oxygen you need to live. I mean. They just uh, do something to these dilithium crystals and everything's okay in really just about 30 seconds. I do like, uh, there's a there's a brief moment where, where Data walks onto the bridge with that little girl and Troy can't, like, doesn't turn around and, like, you know he's in trouble because Troy's like, don't make eye contact, <laughs> don't look at him. Like, he has stepped in it. <laughs> And he does that line of Riker being like, he has not done what I think he has done. Has he done this to me? He's brought a <laughs> child to my bridge. I'm sure he's got a really good explanation. It was like, such a, at this, the, the weird posturing here uh, is strange. And then he just relents again. He's it like, is. oh yeah, by the way, you you should be here. This involves you. All right. I, I talk it as he was just like, I, I can't right now. I can't even with you. Because they're up here. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a there, there's a moment in the walk though with Data and Sarjenko where I felt like Data lies to her because she asks him, "Can I be on the starship one day?" And he says, "Yes." And I don't see how that's possible, really. She doesn't say, "May I?" Like, yeah, you can. I mean, who knows? Possible. I mean, it's possible. He's like, "Can I?" Is that <laughs> what's the definition of was? <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that seems to break the the I was going to say First Amendment again the Prime Directive. Uh, the Energizer probably more so than anything else. If Data's like, oh, by the way, you do you can if you do what like if you invent warp drive or you convince right. the captain to take you with us. Well, does it, it begged the question to me. I wondered, does Data know that he's taking her to get her memory erased? Not yet. I think he does. Because he's not surprised at all. Not yeah. Like he doesn't fight uh, it. He doesn't ask surprised. a question. Like I think he knows what's There's a there's a bit of an old yeller feeling. Cause in that instance, like, yeah, tell her whatever you have to tell her. She's not gonna remember and mm. 30 right. seconds which by the way i like the fact that we just drop super casually that we can erase yes. people's memories no no I problem plastic <laughs> meltdown eternal sunshine sarjanka <laughs> just take out certain memories like you're still gonna remember your family you just don't remember these or montauk or montauk yeah <laughs> uh. uh so and there's this there's a line here that really rubbed me the wrong way um in pulaski's um we have she has to be the person she was born to be and that's why this is pulaski's defense of why she's gonna erase it she has to be the person she was born to be and all i could be like my insights were screaming yes that's why you can't erase her memories because right now is the person she was born to be because she was born and this is who she is this whole like jimmy i i jimmy i was born to have wi-fi <laughs> <laughs> i was born to run the whole argument about like you think you know what the pat the, the future is is it, is just ludicrous that you have you yeah. that 
what's happening right now is what's supposed to happen for no other reason than it's happening. Do you think wait, it was Melissa Snodgrass, right? Who wrote this? Melinda. Yeah. Melinda. I feel like she's a Calvinist or a Ooh. like, you know, determinist <laughs> type of thing. Cause the whole episode has yeah. this kind of idea yeah. of like right? everything is predetermined. Yeah, so yeah. we have to, we, we can't change that. Um, and I don't, I don't think this episode really kind of, solves anything or really teaches anything more about it other than just mentioning it right in no this, that's in the scene my my uh I, I i felt like it made the prime directive seem stale like their whole argument was like this seems like a point of view um from 30 years ago that mm. like if you were to rewrite this now if melinda was rewriting it now i think it would be a very different argument that she made well because the same arguments being i mean not to bring everybody down here but the same argument is being made not to get the vaccine or not to uh, mm-hmm. uh do anything that would make you more safe because well that's meant to happen and you're like well no oh, that that's right. that's actually not true like there are then why are you wearing eyeglasses steve <laughs> <laughs> someone actually said right like if you know, oh why we we're made perfectly to filter uh things out why would we put a plastic fa- thing over our face or and we're like do you wear shoes right underwear yeah. deodorant yeah. do you brush your teeth do you beam children who are about to die from geological i mean right now you're pulling on some strings that you don't know the answers to right and are you is it okay for you just to drink as much as you want and drive because you know, that's your freedom. Whatever. It's a ridiculous argument. Yeah. As soon as you start pulling the string uh, of all the things in this episode, it doesn't really, you're left with nothing. Uh, all right. So we go on to our final two scenes. 26, a singing rock to forget me by. <laughs> <laughs> so Data leaves the uh, the rock with her. And maybe he imprinted the, uh, the, the, the formula for warp drive. You know? <laughs> Much like uh, in in uh, Interstellar, where the clock had all the intricate <laughs> details of space travel written in it, Ooh. and this is how Sarjenko will eventually join him in Starfleet. But uh, we have a nice little moment where he drops Anna. her off. He hits the wall with his hands to take another look at a calm world. The crystals are all calm now and not wreaking havoc on the planet. Dilithium. Uh, dilithium, that's right. Uh, before he goes back up to the ship. Um, and then we have scene 27. No need for forgiveness. Oh, One of his officers was stricken. Which I feel like yeah, that apology is necessary. Like, he did, like, yes, all of these things happened and we can be, we can say, like, it's good that they happened. But... I don't know that the apology is unnecessary necessarily. You know what I'm necessarily saying? <laughs> I think is it necessary? He made a call uh, that Data should not have made. I mean, he 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 dressed down the other guy in an earlier episode about like not alerting command to uh, a potential danger to the ship. And you could argue maybe the Sergenko necessarily wasn't a danger at this moment, but like you got to let the captain know you're doing shit, and he didn't even. Beyond the the moral ethical stuff that we're talking about here, he He's screwed cool. up the chain of command. Yeah, agreed. I think he absolutely should have told Picard right away. I'm in contact with an alien life, um, and uh, he he does need to apologize because he he brought them into a point where they had to have a big discussion rather than 
where they could have had a discussion earlier <laughs> on, maybe. I'm sorry I made you have a discussion. <laughs> right. Know how I feel about feelings. Uh, but I thought it was nice that it just ends right there. And there was no, mm-hmm. like, jump up and freeze moment. It was kind of, <laughs> uh, uh. you know, it's I did it because you're my friend. But, um, you know, you shouldn't be doing that shit. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't have some pithy remark oh. at the end to ruin it. Like, the right. last couple episodes felt like, you know, maybe you didn't need to say that one last thing. I think it should have been something like Data should have kept the singing stone. And the last thing we do is have her kind of like playing with her little doll, singing the song that the singing stone had oh. laid for her. Oh, yeah. What song would that have been? Thank you. That's Thank good. God. That's good. Because it would be changed. They would, the, he, her life would be changed yes. in some way. You can't I'm, fight it. That was Pin Pals. Uh, <laughs> In all its uh, glory, Greg, what do you think? What do you give this? I am going to give this one uh, six extremely long digits. They were very long. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. uh, it's 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 a, it's. A, I like the the a plot and b plot and how they're handled in this. Uh, they it's my favorite thing where they relate to each other. They're not completely separate. You know, it made sense. Uh, in that way, in the writing of it, um, I didn't really enjoy the empty philosoph- uh, philosophical debate here. Uh, uh, I think the Picard pulls his punch a- away from the prime directive again, uh, and it doesn't seem to make sense here. If he's emphatic about following it, he should have been emphatic about following it all the way. It shouldn't matter if you hear a voice or not, but it, he makes that call. And then I think the whole uh, resolution to this doesn't really... Uh, satisfy my itch to be like well this felt like uh, a rigorous uh discussion around the ethics of this situation it kind of just felt like they just did it and you know we got to see it but good uh good interesting uh sci-fi setup uh i was you know engaged throughout um and the only thing that i wish was really different about the ending was that if this really was supposed to be a commentary on uh, uh, a human society not wanting to interact with natives uh, what really would have happened since dilithium them is a fuel, uh, the Federation would have just come in and taken all of this dilithium crystals away from this <laughs> culture. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, that would have been a much more indictment of our current uh, situation. Eric. I give it 10 ridiculous 80s references. <laughs> I got to tell you guys, I, like, the episode, not so much, but I had a ball recording this one. Uh, you guys, <laughs> you know, Buckaroo Bonsai, which I haven't thought about in a couple of years. We got to talk about cop rock. You know, this was a really fun time. So I'm giving it fucking 10. Right. You're giving our episode 10? Our episode no. 10. No, I'm giving Pen Pals 10 because it's going to remind me. Yeah, which I enjoyed doing this episode. And it introduced me to the Monster Squad TV show from 1976, That's... which is my favorite television show. <laughs> I'm launching, everyone you've heard it here first, I'm launching a podcast <laughs> called The Monster Squad. Squad. Is it it? Possibly re-engaged. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> Squatted, monster squatted, <laughs> the monster squatter. 
Please tune in. Uh, Kate, what do you give this episode? Um, I'm going to give it uh, six pairs of Picard's jodhpurs. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. There are there are parts of it that fit just right uh, <laughs> and parts of it that are a little bulky. I like this metaphor. I, I like the fact that um, it's a Wesley heavy, you know, B, B story. Uh, you know, I got to love me some some Wesley heavy content. Uh, and I do remember that alien like viscerally when, once she showed up on screen. I was like, ah, yes, there she is. Uh, so something about this has stuck into my uh, uh, mind all of these years later. Um, but, you know, it's 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 not amongst the best. It's not amongst the worst. Uh, and, uh, I think that, yeah, I, I just wish that I was on Eric's plane. I, I like. <laughs> <laughs> in for I a penny, in for a pound. very lightheaded. <laughs> uh, Love it. All right. Well, if. Jimmy, what do you give it, man? Well, if, uh, if my feet were a one and my head <laughs> were a ten, uh, I would give it a shoulder height eight. That's pretty good. Uh, and. Yeah. I like this episode, um, and I, I, the reason I like it is because, one, we get some BS techno babble about what's happening and how they could save it, and that's uh, fantastic sci-fi. Uh, I love the fact that the crew is never in danger. They have nothing to fear except the choices that they make. Um, and that's kind of exciting that the most dangerous thing is that they make a bad choice. Um, yeah, even the whole weird. argument that they have about the prime directive, I love, even though I thought it was thin and didn't go anywhere. I love it because it's a great, um, sort of mirror of this is, you shouldn't think this way. This is obviously wrong. And, and, and not to counter Greg, but I know there's like, this is the prime directive. And if you're going to have it, you should listen to it. I love that they break it because that's the lesson is just because there's a rule because mm. you think that there should be a rule doesn't mean you follow it blindly. You have to look at what it is and how it impacts you as a human and decide, is it right? You know, like the classic thing in Vietnam, because your, your, your sergeant says burn the village. You're not innocent because you burn the village because you were told to do so. You knew it was wrong. Um, and that's what I loved about that is like all of our people we care about, they're arguing this thing. There's like, you're wrong. This is, you should, you should not, you should be saving these people and they save them. And that's the lesson that we should take away is like, just because there's a rule doesn't mean it's a good one or you should, you should, uh, uh, follow it. And, and maybe they stumbled on that in the 1989 and it's just lucky in 2021. That's the takeaway, <laughs> but it is a takeaway I have now. And so it gives an eight. And if you were to ask me, you know, should you watch this episode or skip it? I would say absolutely watch it because it, it does make TNG better in the long run. Um, so a nice solid eight for me, I just finished this beer though. And, Seriously, I'm about to whip my pants. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about it earlier. You were talking about your pants. It's happening. Thanks for joining our Cultural Bridge officers for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing the mission with another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We want to hear from you, our listeners. If you've got questions or observations, Halen Frequencies are open. 
email letsreengage at gmail.com or you can follow reengage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek things. But you can follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on the gram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by the incomparable Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Riker's Beard to re-engage.